As we saw last week, the people of Nineveh repented. There was a great turning back to the Lord there at the end of chapter 3. And the king of Nineveh rose from his throne and proclaimed that all the people should repent and sacrifice the ashes before the Lord. So God moved vitally amongst the people. And then we start chapter 4 with this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. They prayed to the Lord, said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said to Judah, Do well, you do well, be angry. So Judah went down to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a move for himself where he sat. He sat under the shades so he should see what would come of Nineveh. Now the Lord God appointed a plant to be a cover up over Judah that it might be a shade to his head to see if it could discomfort. So Judah, and this is the first time in the whole story that Judah's been happy. Judah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was feared. He asked that he might die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said to him, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here it is. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. we thank you for this recorded portion of your word. And we pray today as we listen in to your conversation with Jonah, that the same truths, the same heart that drove you then, which is unchanging, would you reveal to us through the Holy Spirit in your word today. That the compassion, the gentleness, the compelling force of your goodness would be felt by us. That if we feel like Jonah today in your midst, that you would draw that out of us and bring healing and renewal. That we would know the love of our God personally, corporately, and be able to express it. We confess that we can do nothing without your help. The preacher needs you this morning. And we too, your listeners, need you as well. So come, move in our midst, we ask for the kingdom of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Conversations can be wonderful things. You can start a conversation with somebody, especially the further north regions of this island. You can sit down beside somebody at a bus stop in Glasgow, and in five minutes they'll have your life story out of you. It's quite a skill. Conversations are wonderful things. They take unexpected turns. I remember a story overhearing a conversation between an Irish farmer and a Texan farmer. The Irish farmer and the Texan farmer were discussing their respective 
areas of land that they owned. The Texan farmer said to the Irishman, and I'll not do a Texas accent with the spare man, but you know, if I got into my car and I just I got in the car, I could I could go forever and ever and ever and never get to the end of my fields. The Irishman said to the Texan, Yes, I got a car like that too. <laughs> Conversations take unexpected turns at times. Here today. It's funny, actually, that video was great. It captured Jonah's grumpiness and serious Jonah's and stopped at chapter 3. Chapter 3 would be a great place to stop Jonah, wouldn't it? It would be the perfect Disney movie, the story of how Jonah the renegade comes back to the Lord and returns to Nineveh and everything's done in triumph. Jonah chapter 3 would be the perfect ending for it all. Yet, the Holy Spirit has recorded for us here in God's Word, chapter 4. A very unexpected chapter. A chapter that actually is a great privilege for us to read because in this chapter we get to eavesdrop in a conversation between God and his angry prophet. We get to listen to how God deals with Jonah's soul in a gracious, kind, compassionate way. Today really is the story of an angry saint and a gracious God. An angry saint. And the gracious God. Nineveh has had revival. It is like God moved in power by the forgiveness of his grace. People are turning to him left, right, and center. It is one of the greatest miracles of the Old Testament. Jonah goes in and preaches a couple of words, and revival sweeps out. With the exception of our Lord Jesus, nowhere actually in the whole Bible have we seen such a powerful turn to God. It's amazing. It's miraculous. And yet, chapter, the first one starts with Jonah being exceedingly cross. It's a lovely word, exceedingly, isn't it? Kind of, kind of it's understandable. It captures Jonah was exceedingly cross. In fact, the word there in your Bibles for angry is the same word that God used for evil in 1 verse 2. For their evil has come against me. Jonah is not only angry, he's in an evil, foul mood. Jonah's not the sort of guy you come around for laughs and fun to. But he is angry. He's very angry. It's not startling. God has moved in great grace and salvation. God has moved in great grace and salvation for Nineveh, but also in Jonah's life too. Jonah had run away from the Lord. He got swallowed by a great fish. Isn't it funny how the fish always looks so happy in those videos? The big smiles. Anyway, well, there's a tasty snack in Jonah. Mind you, by the sounds of things, he'll probably give you heartburn. <laughs> Jonah has been delivered from death by God. But now he's angry. He's in a rage. And so he prays to the Lord again. Lord. And so this is the strangest prayer in the Bible. Lord, this is what I told you would happen. You would be compassionate to them. You would forgive them. And that's upset me. This is a ridiculous prayer of any ways. And here Jonah actually hasn't said anything untruthful in this prayer. Look at the description of God there as a standard Old Testament description. Moses hears this from God in Exodus, but God reveals himself to it. I am gracious and compassionate, forgiving the sins of men. Slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Isn't that a beautiful description of our God? He is a gracious God. Graciousness is a lovely word, isn't it? It's hard to describe, but best seen in practice. He is gracious. He is gentle. His mercy is like the sun rising fresh every morning with hope, and its beams warm our souls. 
He is merciful. To have mercy is to exercise greater freedom of forgiveness. Not to punish where punishment is due, but to show love. Our God is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. The Bible has some strong descriptions of the wrath of God. It is in there. We cannot preach scripture without mentioning it. And yet, too, it is balanced with the fact that he is slow to anger. He isn't quick-tempered. He isn't like Jonah. He doesn't fly off the handle. He is not mean or callous. He is slow to anger. And last of all, the cherry of the cake. With all this mixture of our God, it gets better. He is abounding. That's a beautiful word, is it? Abounding in steadfast love. I would love to be abounding in fish suppers or no. <laughs> abounding. It's, it's a lovely word. It's, it's energetic, isn't it? Abounding. If you've got a, a young, how many of you love seeing young puppies? They abound, don't they? They bounce around, they stumble around, they're full of life. Have you ever seen those videos where you see the dogs always dancing up the street because they're so happy? No. <laughs> Abounding, this, this energetic, overflowing delight of steadfast love. A love that isn't easily knocked off course. A love that abounds, almost, almost like a constantly flowing stream, like a, a waterfall that builds up strength and power until it's a, a gentle raging torrent that comes washing over us, abounding in steadfast love. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Jonah knew the truth about God. This is perfect theology. This is brilliant theology. This is a description of the God of the Old Testament and the New. You find this in Joel. In Joel, when Joel the prophet preaches, he preaches the people repent. The judgment of God is coming upon you. But if you repent, know this, he is abounding in steadfast love. He is gracious and merciful. will forgive you. Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Jonah. Could you imagine them two together in a park bench? That would be really heartwarming. <laughs> Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I mean, poor Jeremiah. Imagine having a preach assignment like this. Jeremiah, go preach to the nation. But by the way, they're going to hate you for all of your days. Preach to the people, but they'll never listen. Preach to the people, but they'll look at you with faces on like nervous spades, which means long. And yet Jeremiah, in the midst of the pressure of the preaching and the hatred of the nation and the sins of the nation, still says that if you turn, God will be gracious and compassionate and forgive you. Lamentations. How many of you love singing that song, Green is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father? Morning by morning, my mercies are over you. Lamentations is a book that is hard going. The first half of it, you've got the sins of the nations, they turn from God, and yet right back in the middle of Lamentations is that beautiful verse. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, your mercies are ever new. That is our God, brothers and sisters. He is a God who does not wink at sin, no. He is a holy and just God, and their must, sin must be dealt with. And we'll see how the riddle of that is resolved, how a holy God can forgive later on. But too, in his holiness, he is a God as Jonah. I mean, I love that about Jonah. Jonah is no fool, but he does behave foolishly. And Jonah says here the reason he got in that boat was because he knew God would forgive the people. I mean, how did he get to that? 
How did you get to that stage? God, I know you'd forgive them. So I'm not giving them the chance to forgive them. I go, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Costa del, del Boy. <laughs> His theology was perfect. His knowledge of God was right. And yet the problem with verse 1 to 4, as Jonah shows us here, he knew perfect theology. He knew the truth about God, but he didn't actually know God. Because that truth hadn't changed him. That truth hadn't transformed his heart. His faith was real. His faith was genuine. I mean, one of the redeeming features of this passage is look how Jonah talks with God. He is angry, he is grumpy, but he is engaging with God in honest prayer. He does believe in God, he does trust God, he does know God, but that knowledge of God is incomplete. See, the Bible does call us to know with our heads the truth about God. Absolutely, that's important. We need to have the right knowledge about God. That's why he's left us a record of his infallible word. word. But that knowledge is incomplete, but it stays in the head and doesn't go into the heart. doesn't transform. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. But notice that, heart, mind, strength. Jesus calls his people to know and love him from the heart. You read the Apostle Paul in Romans. Romans is one of those brilliant books, isn't it? I love Romans. I'm, I'm scared to preach on it. I don't think I'm ready to preach on it. Such is the depths of the mercy and the wisdom of God. And yet, in the middle of that book, you read of a man who lives out of personal, intimate relationship with God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 11 are all the theology of the gospel, all the explained, all the election, all the different stuff in mind, and then verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is renewed, and then it was all to describe how we live that out as living sacrifices. It's not enough to know about God in a theoretical sense, but we must come to know the living God. For he is real. He is living and active, and he calls us to know him with the head, yes, absolutely, but also with the heart. Do you know him like that this morning? I was reading this week of the story of Elijah. I love Elijah. I mean, I've had a few Elijahs about with me this week. It would be great. Elijah. Elijah was quite some man, wasn't he? I mean, to go around eating locusts and white honey and wearing a, a... He had the original camel suit there, made into the hair of the camel, the dark belt. Like, you know what Elijah came. And Elijah had to confront Ahab. Now, Ahab was not a good king. If you go off and do the poll and Ahab, his negative readings would be right through the sea. <coughs> the floor. <laughs> His readings would be through the floor. He was a fearsome king. He was a murderous old king. And God said to Elijah, Elijah, go and tell Ahab there's going to be no rain for three years in Israel. Elijah goes and does it. How does he do it? There's that wee verse in 1 Kings that always strikes me. He says, Ahab, I love the scene. <laughs> He stands in the vegetable plot that Ahab comes and says, Is that you, the troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I'm not the one who's troubling Israel. You are. So he says this, King, I am not wise to ask you because I stand before you, but I also stand in the presence of the living God. I stand in the presence of the living God. He was aware of Elijah, or Ahab in front of him. 
but they also knew God in a head sense, but also in a spiritual and literal transforming sense standing with him. Paul. Have you ever read that letter at the end of 2 Timothy? It's one of the saddest words in the whole gospel, the whole New Testament for me. Where Paul talks about all the friends he has in Rome, all the people who were supporting him, yet when it comes to his last trial, he says, I stood alone. Everyone had left him. And yet Paul says, I wasn't alone, for Christ Jesus stood with me. Do you think David, when he wrote this 23rd Psalm, sat down like William Wadsworth and said, Ah, today I shall compose a sonnet about daffodils. No, not daffodils. Let's talk about shepherds. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you think he wrote it like that? No, he wrote it from the overflow of a heart that was living in the presence of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you want a lesson? It shows us here the dangers of a heart that is not being transformed by the goodness of God. A heart that continually needs to be transformed by the goodness of God. Living in the presence of God in the power of his transforming grace. We have looked at John's Gospel the first half over the past couple of months. We remember John chapter 3. Lest a man is born again, born anew, born by the transforming power of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But we receive the Gospel, we receive as the truth of God's Word. We receive the message of repentance. We take it into our heart, we believe it with our heads, but we believe it too with our hearts, and it transforms us. And the compassion of God here should have transformed Jonah. But it didn't. And that was the problem of this passage. First one before the need of transforming grace. But look here, and I love this in chapter four. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well with being angry? Notice here that the God who has just revived the whole city of Nineveh, who has brought 120,000 people to their knees, you'd think he's going to be busy with that crowd comes back to his stubborn prophet and looks him in the eye. Looks him in the eye and has time to deal with him. God is the God of the universe. He upholds this universe by the word <coughs> of his power. How many stars are in the sky? I'll ask you that when I get a sip of water. How many stars are in the sky? Come on. A lot. A lot. <laughs> It's been in the sands of the sea. How many grains of sand are there in the sea, Adrian? A lot. A lot. He calls each one by name. And yet he also knows each one of us by name. It was the hairs in our head. For some of us, that's a bit more than others. He sees you. You're not significant to him. What is man that you're mindful of him? But he is. And son of man, would you care for him? And I love this about this story, that we see this corporate revival, we see this massive move of the Lord, and yet God still pursues Jonah. Verses 5 to 9, the skill of our heavenly shepherd. Look at this here. It's brilliant. Jonah goes out of the city to the east of the city to make a booth for himself. There he sat until the sheep, under the shade. Till he should see what would become of the city. What's Jonah doing here? Jonah is waiting for the people of Nineveh to slip up. He is. He's waiting for them to slip up because he sees that God has forgiven them. He knows God's gracious, but he's just waiting for that moment till Nineveh makes a mistake and God pours out wrath on them. I mean, what a miserable thing to do, isn't it? 
He's almost getting on like a Pharisee, isn't he? Seeing when God's mercy would run out and the people would mess up. And so he goes and sits outside the city in his anger, in his wrath. He hates the people of Nineveh that much. He builds himself a wee shield and he sits down there in splendid isolation. God has mercy on him. And he appoints a plan. Notice God's doing a lot of appointing at Julia. He appoints a plan. Now, there's been a lot of, you would not believe this, but there's been books written and discussed over what sort of plant this is. <laughs> is it a castor oil plant? Is it an ivy plant? Is it a pumpkin plant? In fact, Jerome, the, the one of the early church fathers, decided that it was an ivy plant and anyone who thought otherwise was a pumpkin head. <laughs> that is a spectacular case of missing the point. Just as God could send the fish, just as the God of this universe who upholds everything by the word of his power could do miracles of astounding beauty and power, God could appoint a plant to grow. It was probably as a pumpkin plant that had big shades that grows up over Jonah and gives him comfort. God shows him mercy. But God's not finished with him yet. During the night, as Jonah falls asleep and it's a bit cooler, the Lord appoints a worm, and I'm sure the worm really enjoyed eating that plant. And the word munches the plant. And as Jonah wakes up in the morning, he must have felt the heat. He must have thought, oh, I've had a beautiful sleep. I have a nice and warm and cozy. He looks, the plant's gone. As the plant's gone, he's got no shade. And as the wind picks up, we reckon it's not its not like a wind at Skegness Harbour that freezes you. I know what it's like living on the east coast of this country. You think it's a beautiful day that wind gets the hold of you. It's minus 20. No, this is a Chirocco that comes off the desert. It's a hot wind. It's a, it's a burning wind that blows in his head. Jonah is having a really bad day to add as many bad days. But God is a great heavenly shepherd and a wise doctor. And I find that sometimes the best way to get to know people is when you spring something on them or surprise them. Is it not? When I was reading this, I had a laugh to myself because I was reading about Charles Spurgeon at the time as well. And Charles Spurgeon was at this conference in England, and one of the preachers got up and said that all Christians could be perfect in their lifetime, free from any anger, free from any unforgiveness, free from, they would just be perfect. Spurgeon said nothing. People were surprised and thought of Spurgeon. But the next morning at breakfast, Brother Spurgeon went up behind the person who said he was perfect and poured some milk over his head. <laughs> Everyone soon found out that he wasn't perfect. <laughs> the reason I share that is because what's in the heart? comes out under stress, comes out under duress. When, as we saw in Jonah chapter 2, when Jonah was put in a place where he could not escape from God, put in a place where he was his wits end, his heart came out. And in fairness to him in chapter 2, the heart that came out was faith in the living God, so God restored him. But here God, the wise shepherd, the wise doctor, the heavenly physician, he is so gentle. He is so gentle. Sometimes we're scared to open ourselves up to God, or we not? We run from him. We run from him, we don't pray to him, because we know if we pray to him, he might ask us to do something that we don't want to do. He might show mercy to somebody we don't want him to show mercy to. He might send us somewhere where we don't want to be sent, so we hide from him. But he is gentle with us. And as it does say in the scripture, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it is. But notice too in Psalm 139, the same God whose hands we fall into is the God who knitted us together in our mother's womb. How many of you are good at knitting? I'm really not. 
I go to farmer's hands. When I start knitting things, I start knitting things into my hands and then they become part of me. It takes great skill to knit something together. It takes great concentration of the object before you. We were knit together in our mother's womb by God. And here those gentle hands surround Jonah and God takes away the plant and he, he upsets Jonah's apple cart, not because he's all kind, but to break something out of Jonah. And what comes out of Jonah is pretty strong. Verse 8. It is better for me to die than live. I mean, Jonah, change the record here, son. But God said to Jonah, here, verses 10 to 11, we get to the heart of the whole book. Normally the heart of the book's in the middle, but here it's at the end. The message that God has for his people running the whole way through. Jonah says to the Lord, your heart is angry because I took away a plant that was a blessing to you. You're happy to receive my blessings, Jonah. You're happy for me to be merciful to you. You're happy for me, Jonah, to lift you out of the sea, spew you out of a fish and put you in dry land. You are happy for that. In fact, the only time, Jonah, that you've been really happy in this whole book is when I grew that pumpkin plant for you. He was exceedingly glad. Jonah, you're happy to receive my blessing. You do trust in me. You do have knowledge of me, but it's incomplete. You pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. This wheat plant that you've got upset about, Jonah, that's what's in your heart. But should I not? And I love this about our God. Should I not pity none of them? Nineveh, that city which was full of pagan worship, that city that put its foot in the accelerator of turning its back on God and being a warlike nation that would wreak havoc across the Middle East, that city that had no inkling, no inclination of bowing the knee to Yahweh. Should I not pity that city? It's not amazing. It's not unexpected. Why should I pity it? Well, let's take a few steps back to the plant there. God is the one who made us, who labored to create this whole world. Isn't it amazing when you think of the accounts of creation? How God spoke us all into being by the power of his word. How he has caused it to grow and flourish and to bless us with all good things. How he's made you and me. How he's blessed us with the people in our lives, the places he's put us. How he gives us breath hour by hour. How he gives the people of Lincoln breath hour by hour. How he gives those who, like Richard Dawkins, raise their voice against them in protest breath hour by hour. And he has pity on them. God is different from us. His thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, his accounting is not our accounting. He sees Nineveh and his heart breaks for it because he sees the people away from him. And does this not remind us of our son, the Lord Jesus, when he looks out over Jerusalem? Jerusalem, that city, I mean, the city that stoned the prophets, that killed them, that threw them out, that rebelled against them, that spat in the face of his son. Jesus looks out over the city of Jerusalem. A more stubborn bunch of people you could not get in this world really is. And he looks out on them and what does he do? Does he shout at them? Does he throw stones at them? 
Does he call fire down from heaven at them? His heart breaks in gentle sobs for them because he had compassion on them. I think sometimes we forget just how compassionate and forgiving our God is. He desires that none should perish. But all who must repent and come to him, but must repent and come to him with knowledge and love and salvation. That's our God. How deep the Father's love for us. So vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. The question that God asked Jonah of Nineveh is the question that God asked of this world. Should I not have pity on this rebellious world? Should I not give it salvation? And he did through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here God has pity on 120,000 persons. The population of the Lincolnshire area is about 110,000. How many of them know their right hand from their left? Yet our God has been so good to us. If we have believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation and trust in him, he has been so good to you. So good to you. The Jew who were far away from him in rebellion, he has brought near by the blood of his son. And I love that image of brought near. It's almost like an arm being put around and drawn near. How will you deny that to others? How will you be like Jonah and be grumpy and grouchy and say, well, God love them, but I can't. The thing is, he does love them. And if you truly know him, and if we truly know the transforming power of his grace and his love, even though imperfectly, Jonah wasn't perfect. God wasn't calling him to perfection. He strived with him, but he was calling him to be transformed into his likeness. We have that parable, do we not, where Jesus talks about the two moneylenders. And the two guys who borrowed money off the king. One guy owed the king a fast fortune, robbed his debts, robbed his bills, was, was utterly bankrupt, he had more interest than, than anything, and the king said, I forgive you your debt. Three full forgiveness. I wish RBS would do that. No. <laughs> debt was forgiven. Millions of the owed. And then he remembers and said, hang on, we Jimmy down the street owes me a tenner. I'm going to get that tenner off him. He goes to meet Jimmy down the street, puts his hand around his neck, starts choking and says, Give me the tenor, give me the tenor. King hears about it and says, Ah, I forgive you millions. You'll hold that ten pounds against him, get you off into jail. Away up to your chimp, Lincoln. And Jesus says that parable to remind us we have been forgiven much. We have been compassionately poured out upon us by the God of the universe who we stood as rebels against. And if you've forgotten that this morning, brothers and sisters, then I urge you to go back and stand at the foot of the cross. To stand at the foot of him who gave his life for you because he loved you. See the love poured out there for you. Hear the words of forgiveness. Never once on the cross did Jesus utter a curse or a bitterness. As his divine heart was literally broken in two, he said, Father, forgive them, they do not want to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. See, and I would stand beneath the cross of Christ. How can I not call the ones he has gathered around, brothers and sisters? 
Let us not be like Jonah, verses 1 to 4. Let us know the need of transforming grace and be received it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's the Lord who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. And what is his pleasure in you? To make you more like Christ. To be an ambassador of his grace and his love and his compassion. Lord, sister, we used to have a wee lady up the road. And I know what she meant when she said that sometimes you hang with her, but it's true. She said, sometimes you're the only Bible people will read. Now, I know what you meant by that. Don't theologically true. How we show God's grace to others sometimes is indicative to them of how God loves. And let's be brutally honest here. And it wasn't me said this, so if you've got a problem with this, play Martin Lloyd Jones. Go on, talk to him. He said, The greatest stumbling block to Christian faith sometimes is the Christian church. And by the nods of your head, I think we can all say yes, amen. But it shouldn't be that way. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Jonah was called to be a light to the nations. And look how he stopped them up. Yet God pursued him in mercy and grace. The transforming grace that we have received, we should know and love and celebrate, which we do together in worship through the word, through the Lord's table. But it should transform us too that we should go out and show that to others. When we pray, how do we pray? For somebody who has hurt us in the workplace, do we pray for them? Yes, we may struggle with it, but do we pray for them? For the neighbour who is difficult up the street, we actually, we would quite like to strangle, but we don't. How can we show God's grace to them? How can we get in to show them the love of Christ? I don't know if I should tell you this story or not. It's a very Northern Irish story. But it illustrates the point, so if you don't like it, just fall asleep for a bit. How many of you have heard of the Reverend Neil Paisley? Yes, if you look around and be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. <laughs> Paisley, before he was a preacher, or before he was a politician, he was a preacher, and one of the churches he planted was on, uh, what's the road? Raven Hill, the Raven Hill Road, thank you, Grace. On the Raven Hill Road. And Paisley was determined, as only at Ulster we could do, that he was going to get the worst person on the Raven Hill Road into his church. Because that would be a sign of God's goodness and grace. So he was determined to find the crossest, meanest, grumpiest, ill-tempered person on the Ravenhill Road to get into this church. And he found him. Well, the guy found Paisley because he used to curse and swear at him. So Paisley went to the house. This guy had a reputation for being one of the meanest, grumpiest drunks in the street. Paisley was determined to reach him. So Paisley went up to the door. Now, please do not do this in your evangelism. But the guy saw Paisley come and was cursed at him and started to close the door. Paisley put his foot through the door. Hello, close the door in my face. And he put himself into the house. And Paisley got past and ran into the guy's kitchen and sat down. Please don't do this. You're a man. <laughs> and Paisley was in the guy's kitchen. The guy had no idea what to do. And he, he started cursing and swearing. And then he started laughing because nobody had broken into his house before. Now they were a preacher. And as Paisley started witnessing to him, this angry, surly, cross man who for years had been putting up a hard front started to break down. And it turns out his wife had died when he was young. And he couldn't cope with it, so he took to the drink to dull the pain. And he put barriers up for years. And Paisley was able to lead him to the Lord, and he became one of the elders of the Raven Hill Church. That's compassion. Now, please don't put foot through doors. <laughs> if you do, don't tell them. <laughs> Everyone could have given up on him. People did give up on Too much. Too, too bitter. Too angry. Paisley, in fairness, too. 
was driven by the compassion of God to see him reach for the Lord. Know the transforming grace of God that is yours. Know that if we do fall and stumble in our mission, which we will, the skill of our heavenly doctors there to encourage us, to push us on. We got brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us all. At verse 10 to 11, we do face a task unfinished. This story ends with no resolution. We don't know what Jonah does. We don't know if he goes back to Nineveh to preach the gospel or to, to encourage the new converts or he, he goes back to Israel. We don't know Jonah disappears after this. And the Bible author deliberately does that so the question is open-ended. Brothers and sisters, should God not have pity on Lincoln, on Lincolnshire, on England, on the British Isles? Should he not have pity on them for the people that are in them do not know him? Will we, his people, go? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth would have been acceptable in your sight, that they would be helpful from you, the ones that were not would fall to the wayside. We want to encounter you. We thank you for your word, the Bible, which is a testament to your gracious love, your mercy, your slowness to anger, the abounding of that steadfast love and that relenting from disaster for those who turn to you. Thank you if we are in Christ and we have experienced that gift of salvation, that gift of love. And if we have run from you, Bring us back. If we have got so busy and distracted that we've started to think hard thoughts of you and forgot just how gracious you are, bring us to the foot of the cross. <laughs> if we doubt that you love us, if we doubt that you care, then bring us to the foot of the cross where we can see no greater proof of God's love for us than he gave his only son. And if we're not astounded by that, Lord, and I confess sometimes we say those words, but we want to know the depth and the power of them. The Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Would you root and ground your people in that love? And may you do more through this fellowship and fellowships across this land to show your compassion and gospel that we can think, hope, or imagine. And if there's any here today who do not know you, who think of you as an angry figure in the sky, may this message that comes from your word show them the truth of who you are. A holy, loving God. The riddle of that holiness and love which was resolved on the cross is there Jesus bore our sin, our wrath. And we can stand forgiven. May we never forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.